episode of the Canadian Red Tech Association's podcast. Uh, this episode in the series is titled uh, Client Focus Reforms, Compliance Tick Box or Strategic Opportunity. My name is Paul McRory and I'll be here to host today. Uh, a bit of background, I'm a Program Director of Technology Transformation in the Capital Market Space. For those who don't know, the Canadian Red Tech Association, we're a nonprofit organization focused on solving regulatory challenges through collaborative efforts between key red tech stakeholders. These stakeholders include regulated entities, technology vendors, and regulatory bodies. Today, we're revisiting the topic of client focus reforms, but looking at them from a strategic perspective. Client focus reforms are intended to place investor interest first in their dealings with financial advisors and dealer firms and have a consequential impact on advisors and the investment industry. Their forms offer wealth firms an opportunity to invest their compliance budgets towards compelling, client-centered, scalable solutions. To that end up here with uh, two gentlemen, first being Parham Nasiri, Vice President Regulatory Strategy Partnerships at InvestorCom. Parham has over a decade of wealth management and regulatory experience. He's the chair of the Canadian Advocacy Council of CFA Societies Canada, previously held roles at OBSI and the Bridal Group. Mr. Nasiri holds a CFA charter and an MBA from Shul School of Business. Joining Parham, we have uh, Justicia Pack, Lead Business Process and Compliance Digitization at BMO Financial Group. JP has over 15 years of experience implementing technology solutions for large financial institutions. His background is in enterprise CRM transformations with a major consulting firm in Canada and has a formal training in user experience design and digital product management. Thanks guys for joining us today. Um, let's dive right in. I have a few questions I'd like to kind of run through and get your opinions on. So to set the stage, Parm, can you provide some background on what areas of the regulations you see the most significant change and the opportunities for a new approach uh, to compliance? Thanks, Paul, and thank you for having me on your podcast today. It's uh, always a pleasure. I can, uh, I can tell you that, uh, as you mentioned off the top, the client-focused reforms require firms and the advisors to fundamentally act in their client's best interest. So this principle-based change, in my view, is a really a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to further develop the level of trust and empathy between advisors and their clients. And in terms of challenges and to your question, I can share with you that over the past year or so um, at InvestorCom, we've conducted uh, multiple polls to gauge what's most pressing or challenging for firms. And I can tell you that the new KYP obligations, as an example, keep floating to the top. And in my opinion, this is not only a regulatory requirement, but a formidable opportunity for wealth management firms and advisors to uh, tackle the new sets of regulations. Specifically, CFRs require firms to play, uh, as an example, this gatekeeping function uh, over the products or securities they make available to their clients. This specifically means that they will need to periodically assess, approve, and monitor these products for significant change. For context, just keep in mind that firms, wealth management firms typically can have tens of 20,000 20, of products uh, available on their shelf. Now, they will need to, on a, on a post-implementation deadline, have a process to 
assess all of those products and monitor for significant change, which is a task that's not humanly possible when you look at it on it from a manual perspective. And in my view, this new requirement is less about sort of meeting the compliance requirements or the regulatory requirements and ticking those boxes, as you mentioned off the top, but more about a strategic opportunity to take a look at this gatekeeping function and, 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 and say, hey, when I look at my products and the products that I'm making available to my clients, have I thought about them strategically? And do those products specifically align with the client's best interest? So regulatory requirement is a key opportunity to take a look at that products that are being made available to clients from more of a strategic and the best interest lens in my opinion. Hmm. It's exciting like that idea of building that trust and empathy with the client. Uh, GP, do you have anything to add? Or do you see as a significant uh, change and opportunity for this uh, regulation? Yeah, uh, firstly, thanks Paul for having me. It's great to be here and Parham, good to reconnect with you as well. Yeah, I would just echo a lot of the things that Parm said, like it's kind of interesting because these regulatory reforms, they kind of naturally, I think, lend themselves to a technology solution like Parm was saying. There's tens of thousands of products on a lot of these shelves trying to implement a manual process. Does seem like a little bit of a, um, you know, a bit of a monumental task or a bridge too far. So when you look at the current sort of opportunities to how can we optimize this? How can we bring technology in this and how far can we push it? One of the things I always find is that regulatory work is always seen as the required or the must do stuff that needs to get done. So from, from my experience, from an enterprise perspective, from an, a budgetary perspective, this is usually the stuff that has to get done. So it's always gonna be kind of um, budgeted first. So one of the examples that I remember in one of my clients in the past was a lot of people will be familiar with AODA regulations. So this is basically making sure that your websites are um, accessible for people with disabilities. This is specifically for Ontario. So while you're going into your website to basically assess it, and in most cases have to update it, this is the natural and the logical time to reevaluate things like design, your analytics engine, how to basically optimize the user experience. And what I thought was kind of funny was it was when I was listening to Parm, I was thinking about one client I had that was going through an enterprise rebranding. So they were actually going to redesign their website for marketing purposes. But when they realized about, oh, wait a minute, there's this thing called AODA, they were able to partner with their compliance department and kind of both able to get what they wanted and do a cost share. So both of them were able to basically allocate less budget individually that they originally planned and both get it done simultaneously. So both groups kind of felt like it was a win-win scenario. So I think that's one of the scenarios that comes to mind when I think about regulation as an opportunity. Hmm. It's, it's absolutely an opportunity. I just want to touch, before we get into the tech uh, component, like JP, I know you have a significant experience in the wealth space. How do you see this um, and expect wealth service industry to evolve in Canada in this opportunity, like demographics, digitalization, new players, et cetera? Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, Paul, it's a, it's a huge, huge question. Um, and there's actually been a, there's a lot of literature that's been out there, mostly published by a lot of consulting groups, think tanks, and, you know, different other kind of regulatory bodies as well, in terms of trying to understand this trend that's happening. I think, for one thing, for decades, the wealth management industry has largely been characterized by almost a hesitancy haven't been one of the pioneers in this space as an industry, as an industry. 
there's been typically a strong emphasis on things like human to human interaction. And sometimes that feels like it's competing with technology and digital. And in some circles, technology is often seen as a necessity or like not necessarily a necessary evil, but not always seen as a competitive advantage the same way it is in other industries. So what are we seeing? Like you mentioned, I think demographics, demographic shifts. One thing that is, you know, very, very obvious and it's talked about in multiple industries is that our population in one sense is getting older, the baby boom generation. A lot of that wealth is now starting to change hands. A lot of research indicates that we're basically on the cusp and we're in the midst of the largest transfer of wealth in history. So with that, the wealth management industry that was really catering to an older and an aging demographic is very going to is going to have to very quickly pivot to the next generation, which is going to be inheriting that wealth. So in terms of the expectations, in terms of how you service them at a client level, in terms of their tech expectations from a technology perspective, a lot of those things are changing very quickly. We see this often kind of being met by some of the new fintech companies that are coming out, robo-advisors, stuff like that have been around for a while. So this branchless financial institution is really starting to make a stronger play here in Canada, as they've done in other countries. We're seeing tremendous fee pressure. There is almost a race to the bottom. We're seeing that more and more because what's happening is on the performance piece, it's being largely democratized. Like alpha is really being squished in the industry. And of course, one of the things that we're talking about here on this podcast is the evolving regulatory space. Increased pressures around fee transparency, um, data regulation, especially around things like privacy, security, and of course, things like client-focused reforms, which we're talking about specifically. All these things are presenting new challenges. And like you mentioned in the last question, potential opportunities for companies and financial institutions to really seize the moment and to do multiple things under the guise of things like, you know, regulatory change. Um, I'll, I'll pause there for a moment, but does that make sense or? Yeah, it's, it's clear. It sounds like it's coming to a head from a rank perspective and an opportunity perspective in the wealth space. Do you have anything from your side, Parm, from a wealth to add on this kind of the evolution of the wealth um, business model? You know, do you want to get- yeah, the only thing I'd say is, you know, if you look at, again, I, I look at things a little bit from a regulatory perspective, given my day-to-day and my sort mm-hmm. of uh, career focus. But um, if you look across sort of the Western economies, there has been historically this trend around sort of proactive disclosure from a regulation, from a wealth management perspective. Um, there was the point of civil disclosure requirements in Canada, which said, hey, if you're going to sell an investment product, disclose the various risks and fees to the client. And now... What's happening across at least the United States and Canada is this new regime that says, all right, disclosure is probably not enough. And now the advisors need to actually act in their client's best interest, um, which with that comes this, this disruption in the practice because the advisors now have to do a lot more sort of, uh, uh, they need to show their work a lot more. And that whole process needs to be digitized in my opinion. So, um, you know, that's that's from a from a, I guess, digital process perspective, I believe that to be a uh, somewhat of a priority. Great. So in, in that vein, then, how does, how does technology support this kind of forward-thinking strategy? And is there any tools or best practices that you can share with from your experience? Yeah. So let, let me give you, give you guys sort of a little bit of math here to sort of support my, my statement that I mentioned earlier. 
Um, if we were to assume that there's, for example, 35,000 products uh, on, a, on a given advisor's shelf, and let's assume that she makes five investment recommendations per day, and for each recommendation, she analyzes just, just six data points, whether it's asset class, product type, fees, risk, so on and so forth. This will require the advisor to process and digest over a million data points for every single day, okay? This is why I have this uh, fundamental sort of thesis around the fact that you need an advisor for them to, for them to do a reasonable job uh, to not only be regulatory compliant, but truly act in their client's best interest. They need, to, they need a technology solution that makes sense of that data in an intuitive and understandable manner so that you're not taken back with a 15-page report that you have to digest and analyze, but really a quick sort of uh, a couple of sliders, something that shows exactly what you need to look at in order to make uh, not only a compliant recommendation, but something that's truly in the client's best interest. I don't know what your thoughts are on JP. No, like it's 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 kind of funny because um, I'm seeing a lot of the different kind of overlaps between the questions like how is technology being used to meet, you know, regulatory requirements, but how does that kind of serve as a launching pad into, you know, future value and you know strategic opportunity? Yeah, I completely agree. Just this year, you know, it's one of the things that was interesting when we first started to develop our KYP program at the bank. One of the things that we discussed very quickly was this seems like a natural candidate for a technology solution, meaning like Parm was saying, the complexity of the data was such that, you know, to implement a manual process would not just be cost and administratively burdensome, but it would be risk, it'd be prone to like prone to human error, there'd be a lot of exposure to risk. So I think in that sense, there are certain areas where technology just makes sense. Um, but I do find that like, you know, your question earlier, Paul, around like, how does technology use as a tool forward? Um, you know, it's kind of funny. One of the examples that I remember giving in a meeting earlier was around, you know what, once upon a time, you know, Microsoft Word introduced spell check. All of us probably listening to this right now are like, that's such a simple and basic example, but we all grew up with it. We all take it for granted now. And in a sense, I think, using compliance tools that are going to be able to scan the universe and your shelf very quickly is going to be something like table stakes as well. But then something like, you know, Microsoft Word, now there's like, you know, then they, they, they came up with, oh, well, we can also implement the source. Like it's not that much more work just to say, well, we can now give them more value add options. So what's that next sort of step in the compliance field? Like where is the extra value that we're going to squeeze? What's the sort of thesaurus to use that kind of, you know, that crude off the top analogy? Like where is the additional value that we're gonna be able to pull from? So if we have this tool that is meant to kind of survey our entire product shelf and monitor it for the changes, the significant changes, well, how do you, you know, define a significant or a material change? Is it the same as my competition? Is that a competitive advantage if I define it better? Will that give me better insight, earlier access to information, trends, and analysis? You know, how competitive is my shelf compared to my direct competitors or indirect competitors based on what attributes? These are, I think this is kind of an interesting area of analysis that can be applied to both defensive and offensive product strategies. So I think those are just some of the things that, you know, come to mind when we talk about how can we leverage technology as a tool forward in strategy? Yeah. JP, I'm just going to add one piece because what you mentioned 
kind of a light bulb went off in my mind. And so going back to the sort of comment I made off the top around what the dealer specific client focus reform obligations uh, entail, which is really uh, have a process for assessing the competitive nature of your product shelf, have a process for monitoring significant change. Again, coming back to technology and sort of the blend between technology and regulations, you, you know, if we were to, <laughs> I love your, your, your um, example around the spell check, because if someone were to manually look across 20,000, 30,000 different products <laughs> and try to review what's changed, has the MER gone up 5%? Is that significant? Has the MER gone up 10%? Is that significant? Has the prospectus risk rating changed? That manual process if one were to sort of try to tackle it manually, they, they would need to hire a significant workforce to be able to just be regulatory compliant, not even get to the point of thinking about it strategically and being able to do trend analysis around how, how a particular dealer's product shelf stacks up against other companies, just to be compliant. That would require huge uh, FTE investment from a dealer's perspective. So, um, you know, as, as, as they always say, you know, let technology be your friend because yeah, people with that data. No, yeah. <laughs> I know I'm going to regret this later, but like this analogy that we keep building off, because like you said, if you, if someone's writing a major essay for school and they have to manually go through and check every single word to make sure it's like grammatically correct and the spelling is correct. Like number one, that is very voluminous, error-prone work off the bat. So the chances are you're not going to do it well. But then you get all these double effects, like this reverse opportunity cost, which is like, you could have been working on making your arguments stronger, researching better sources, but you're spending half of your time doing this work that is probably not going to be all that effective anyways. And, you know, time is money and these deadlines don't change just because it's harder work. So most people think, oh, well, this is a way for me to, like, if compliance is, I don't want to have any words misspelled, then a good spell check will get you there. And you might think, okay, check the box, we're good. But what if using the same technology, we're like, well, wait a minute, what if there is a way for me to model my sentences and look at my words and say, okay, this is what my writing style looks like. You know, it wasn't just tracking which words were spelled incorrectly, but how many words am I using? How often am I using them? How are they used? How do they relate to other you know, papers that are scoring higher or worse. Like there's all these things, you, it's because it's just data, right? And one of the things that Parm and I were kind of excited about, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Parm, but when you start to look at some of this data, yeah, we can say, okay, we are tracking which products on our shelves are changing in a material fashion. We can judge them and use proxies like materialities, peer ratings. We can come up with these things that are really great that I think, you know, really help get us to that place of compliance that we all want to be. But there, I think, is just the tip of the iceberg because, again, it's just data. Like, if you think about it creatively, if you push the technology to do more than you initially thought it would do for you, then there is a lot of exciting opportunity there. And you see examples of this all over the industry. You know, like, I could talk about a lot of different applications and a lot of different sort of systems that were, you know, built and delivered with a specific purpose. But once people started to see the type of insights and the type of data that you could get, you know, a couple of creative people can come up with different use cases and start to apply them in different ways, which is again, going back to sort of your initial point, Paul, about how, you know, if you could take a complete scan of your product shelf, understand how it stacks up from a competitive nature 
to all your competitors in the in, in your industry and see which areas you are more or less competitive. It's not just the regulators that are, it's not just your compliance team that's going to be interested in that information. I could, and I know this because I've, I've spoke with them more than a lot of groups are sort of interested in getting that type of insight. So I think that those are, you know, interesting questions to ask and different doors to knock on. I mean, it sounds, it sounds like a perfect marriage, right? You have the opportunity here. We tech is a solution. Tech is a, a, a useful tool to kind of propel your business forward as, as well as, um, service your uh, required changes for a regulatory perspective. So from an implementation perspective, I know both of you are active, like, you know, in going forward and future proofing, what's, what headwinds are you encountering from an integration and an implementation perspective? And then how uh, do firms adapt in the future? So maybe JP, do you want to continue on? Oh gosh. Okay. So this is, is this sort of like, what are the challenges type questions? And so, um, Gosh, you know what? Adoption. If that's the question, like sort of what are the headwinds or what are the challenges or what are the sort of obstacles to overcome? Um, you know, now more than ever, you know, we see this happening socially. We see this happening definitely in industry. Like technology is just really outpacing our organizational capacity to absorb it efficiently. You know, the technology is outpacing regulation. The technology is outpacing our social norms. This is a cultural thing. It's not just business. It's not just finance. It's not just regulatory. So, you know, often these massive projects or these big initiatives, they can be implemented with, um, you know, with a lot of emphasis on like, are we hitting these rules? What is the technology? What is the new process? But what I mean by adoption is like, what's our ability to absorb and to really make sense of it? You know, it doesn't really matter how great a car is that you build or you buy if the person doesn't know how to drive or if people hate driving so a lot of that is understanding that because we've sorry i'm indexing a little bit because we've talked a lot about technology and all the cool things that technology affords us but ultimately at the end of the day these things are about people and i think that you know it's become a little bit in fashion to talk about all the flashy you know, things that technology can do for us. And then sometimes wondering why these big technology implementations fail a bit. Sorry, just because when you mentioned about headwinds and when you mentioned about challenges, one of the things that is very kind of, um, it's, I mean, it's almost cliche now, it's definitely been a buzzword for a while, but is this whole thing around like agile methodology. But one thing that the industry is finding, especially here in Canada, is a lot of the larger organizations, they're, they've, they found some challenges implementing and pivoting to agile. And a lot of this is, you know, the lessons that we're learning is like, wow, this really has to start with a, a human component. Things like agile are not just about methodology, but it's about psychology. It's cultural, right? So in terms of some of the specific challenges I see for sure is again, like I was mentioning before, um, there's more like regulatory change is coming and it's going to come faster because it has to. Not because, you know, we've just suddenly discovered, oh, wow, we should actually put some rules around this stuff. Rules around data privacy, rules around security, you know, increased emphasis on things like client-focused reforms. Like you wait till, you know, things like distributed ledger, blockchain, you wait, things, you wait till things like deep learning and AI really start to get applied to these fields. The regulatory landscape is going to change extremely quickly because it has to, you know? So I think being prepared Understanding that that is coming 
is going to be increasingly important in our specific space, in the wealth space, I would say, you know, emboldened fintech competition. You know, one of the biggest challenges to a bunch of the fintechs, I think, is just because, you know, in Canada, it's pretty clear that we as Canadians tend to be a bit more risk averse. Basically, we tend to index more towards the larger incumbent institutions, but this is changing. It's changing all the time, you know. It's fair, I think it's a pretty fair assessment to say that the major financial institutions today may be challenged or may not be in the same place of eminence in 20 years, 50 years, whatever that may be. And organizational change, as we had mentioned before, is going to be a bit tough. I want to leave some space for yeah, wow. the quorum, but um it, it, it's gonna be uh JP, uh you are if there's ever a JP doctrine. Uh, it's going to be around agile and and sort of stakeholder management. So well put there. I'll be I'll be brief with my comments here because JP, you're definitely the expert on that front. I, I'd say from my experience, um, you know, regulations, as I said off the top, uh, and regulatory change is always an opportunity to think strategically, strategically about how the organization is shaped and how the organization can be. Uh, can form new competitive strengths. And in that light, uh, future-proofing the business is fundamentally about having not just a technology solution that does everything, but that it's a solution that's pinpoint, resolves the key objectives, but also uh, is best of breed as well. So I'll end my comments on that point. That, that was fantastic. I really appreciate this, particularly this, this last piece on paradigm shift. Uh, with respect to adoption as, as technology uh, strengthens up and can be used as an opportunity um, to implement these changes and, and move the business forward. I think that's all we have time for today. Um, I really appreciate both of you and your opinions and uh, this time together. So uh, upcoming, visit the website for upcoming podcasts uh, for the CRTA updates and uh, more information to follow. Thanks very much and hope you have a great day.